Uh, and we have arrived at this place, right? We finished the gospel, Acts begins to happen, and, and it's not, uh, uh, it was always my intention to get us to this point, but I feel like you can't just skip to the Holy Spirit without studying the gospel. You don't get Acts without all the gospels. You, can't, you, you just can't put one before the other. Uh, a lot of people, I think, would love uh, the, the gifts and the things that the Holy Spirit does do. It brings passion and purpose and intention to things, right? But unless you have some kind of fundamental foundation with the gospel, what good is it going to do you? Because the Holy Spirit has a purpose, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But uh, this is where I plan on sitting for the next uh, month or so, and, or at least a couple months maybe. I just want us to study and learn and pursue the Holy Spirit um, I want to be honest with you, if I'm a little uh, uh, passionate maybe, or emotional, just going to give this as a disclaimer, Um, and I'm going to share with you, I hadn't shared it really out there, uh, to me it's not for sharing out there, but within the corporate body, uh, this is a time for me where I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and uh, I've been fasting for about a week now, and I'm pretty emotional, all right, Uh, uh, it it makes me kind of uh, a very emotional individual. Uh, so I will try to hold back uh, uh, a little, uh, but um, I want to encourage you that if there's something you uh, are looking for with the Lord, there's something that maybe prayer hasn't uh, maybe unlocked yet, that maybe you add fasting to that. Uh, I know a lot of churches want to uh, get on the, the, the binge of, of a 21-day fast at the first of the year. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Corporate worship, that's awesome. Uh, corporate fasting, that's fine. Uh, I don't want to superimpose that because one of the things that I think I've struggled with, and I'm just going to be honest with you as I talk a little bit about fasting real quick, um, is that it's hard to fast. I don't know how much fasting you've done. I I cannot do the Daniel's fast, and here's the, well, I have a different definition of the Daniel's fast. So the Daniel's fast to me when he says, I I like basically no good thing, and then for him, there was no good thing, right? And then he explains kind of what this is, and we understand that's Daniel fast, fruits, vegetables, no meats, things like that, right? Well, my problem with the Daniel's fast is that I will, like, if the Daniel's fast says I can go all the way out to here, I'm going to be standing on that edge, tiptoed off, about to jump into some everything else that is good, right? Uh, and trying to make everything as good as I can make it so that I'm not suffering while fasting. I'm not sure that is what I'm supposed to be doing when I do the Daniel's fast. So because that I'm hindered there because I'm constantly looking for like the way around the Daniel's fast, you know, like a Pharisee, like a really good Pharisee trying to see like, yeah, you ever heard the story of the Pharisees? Like, so when they said, you're not supposed to leave your house on the Sabbath, they would just pick up a brick and carry it with them. (laughs) Just carry that brick anywhere I go. That way I carry my house everywhere. I'm not technically outside my house. Bricks in front of me the whole time. You know, that's me in the Daniel's fast right? Not supposed to eat meat, but I'm going to go all the way to the edge, baby. I'm going to just like, I'm going to try to figure out how to make a soybean hamburger and we're going to like figure this thing. You know, I'm going to, that's, that doesn't work for me. And so I try fasting without, like without eating. Now I'm not going to lie. I've gone about, the longest I've gone is seven days without eating. Uh, I don't, and, and uh, me and Jared did it together. And, and just to show you, just so you don't think I'm Superman at midnight, of the seventh day, because we said on seven days we're going to fast before we took these kids to youth camp. And at midnight, me and Jared went to Whataburger <laughs> on the seventh day, and we devoured a double cheeseburger, like double meat hamburger to break the fast. So don't, don't think like, man, this dude's holy has been fasting for five days. No, I am not. Um, 
one of the things that I try to tell myself is learn that if I do have a moment where I collapse on my fast, where I eat or anything like that, uh, which I did this week. So I say I've been fasting uh, since uh, I, I wanted to start Sunday, was invited out to eat on Sunday. Uh, and so I went. And, uh, and then so it's like, okay, Monday, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start over. I right? did really good Monday. Tuesday night, broke down. Man, tacos, good night. Come on. That's like kryptonite. And, and had dinner, right? And it's like, okay, well, because I don't know if, you, if you're like me. I mean, I normally go, okay, well, then I'm, I'm horrible. I can't do it. I'm really bad. God, you're really good. Uh, I can't fast, obviously. And, but no, what I'm trying to learn is get back up, right? And so Wednesday morning, I get back up, and I don't even think Wednesday. I don't even think Thursday. Friday, uh, I get called in at work to do some manual labor uh, after not eating for a couple of days, and really after having like four days straight or whatever, almost five days without just only having one meal, I only had so many carbs. Like I know that I look like I'm carrying a lot of carbs, but uh, <laughs> it's my body's not processing that fast enough for me to do the, oh, we had to do like a 40 feet of high fence, had to build like 40 feet of high fence and do a big repair job. And, and I did not know I was going to be doing that in the pouring rain. And uh, I told Joy as soon as I said, man, I got to go eat something. I, I'm like about to fall down. I'm so starving. So I ate on Friday night. And then I've, and then I've again, picked myself back up. Let's start again. And I'm going to keep doing this. And here's why. I'm not fasting just so I can learn how to fast. Well, and there's some education things I'm learning. I'm learning that it's okay to have moments where you fail. But God loves me. He's not, he's not sitting there condemning me. If anything, he's cheerleading me this entire time. Like, keep going. You got it, bro. Like, let's get back up. Let's get back on it. Because what I want, what I'm praying for, is all of you. What I want is for the Holy Spirit to come into this place. What I want is to be able to have a ministry here where we come to the altars and people are filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak in tongues. They explore their gifts. They find purpose and passion in who they are. That's what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm praying for. I'm not fasting uh, to, to be skinny. Man, I, I, there's a whole other way of going about doing that that's less miserable. I, I am praying and fasting with purpose. And I think the only thing that's held me on to that is how bad I want to see the Holy Spirit fall in this place. And uh, I, I bring all that up to say, if you would like to join me in this endeavor, if that's something you want to see, or maybe something else in you, one of the, the when we started the, the new year, the, like the last sermon as we kicked into the new year was a, a sermon that, I, that God had talked to me about raising Lazarus. And it's this idea, if there's a, something inside of you that you think is dead, and you think it's been dead for a while, Lazarus lay dead for four days, but God revived him. There is nothing that is ever really dead to God. So for me, my heart is to experience the Pentecost that I felt at the beginning. I don't expect it to happen the same way. I don't expect that. What I, what I expect is that if I ask, if I call upon the things that he desires, which is, I don't think it's just my desire to see people filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's his. And as we're going to explore today, I think we're going to find that it's not my plan. It's his. I'm just praying for his plan to manifest itself here. Right? And that's what I'm praying and fasting for. And whatever that dream is in you that you think is long gone, maybe that's what you need to pray and fast for. Right? And don't give up like Mary and Martha who said, you don't even have to bother with it. He's been dead for four days, Jesus. He says, move the tomb aside. Let me in there. Lazarus, rise. And whatever that is for you, maybe God needs to call in your life, Lazarus, rise. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3.
Like I said last week, going from the, the, we're watching the disciples go from disciple to apostle. They do it in just one chapter through the power of the Holy Spirit, specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray before we read the word, and then uh, we're going to break into the word there at Matthew 3. <sighs> Father, I, I, uh, Lord, I feel like this is uh, God, uh, your divine moment, Lord, right here where the word goes out and it plants itself. And Lord, I pray that it would not just plant itself, but it would quicken those who need it. That it would be a filling for those who are empty. Lord, that it would be happiness for those who are struggling. Father, that you would bring purpose and passion through the power of the Holy Spirit into each one of us that you would change us, Lord, not superficially, but in our hearts, God. That it would affect us not just on Sundays, but every day. Every day. Lord, use your word today and use the time we have with each other to witness and bear witness of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll just, we're going to just talk about Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 if you're there say amen so he says Jesus or John actually John the Baptist here is talking he says I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. All right, we'll stop right there. So from the beginning, very beginning of John's ministry, we see both a, a present statement and a prophetic statement. The present statement is that John had come to baptize with water those who believe or receive the gospel and repent. However, his prophetic statement was that Jesus would soon come after him and baptize men and women in the Holy Spirit and fire. Obvious. They're two different things. In its description by John, it would seem that Jesus has an even greater baptism because John makes it out. He makes it out to be that way. He implies it to be that way. And this would basically remain a prophetic word until Acts 2 takes place where it would become the New Testament norm throughout all of the book. Now, in studying this, there are a few things that are noteworthy that I think we have to take a look at, and I don't think these things are difficult theological things. I'm simply just going to ask you to follow the Scriptures, and this is going to take us back into the book of Acts, which is nothing more than the beginning of church history. All right? Like, I, I, I struggle a lot with, with the idea that, that when I see so many people just place so much theology and effort into a lot of these things and they want it to be deeper than it is, but what if we just take it for surface value, just look at the evidence that we see that history shows it as or reveals it as and what the Bible uh, text shows it as and just take it on face value. That's where we're going to start uh, this morning. So in Acts 1, uh, uh, we see Jesus ascend into heaven and you're welcome to turn there because we're going to be in Acts a little while. Uh, in Acts 1, we see Jesus ascend into heaven before our very eyes, we, we, uh, 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 if we're standing there alongside the disciples as the story is read, uh, uh, we, we watched it, right? Uh, but not before he promises that the Holy Spirit will come if they'll wait. 
talked about this last week. Waiting is hard. Waiting is nobody wants to wait. And now he's very specific here to its purpose of what they're waiting for. This comforter, this Holy Spirit that's coming uh, has a very specific purpose. And I think it's here that we have to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. In Acts 1.8, Jesus makes it clear that the Holy Spirit will empower us to become a witness of the gospel. Right. And not and you can look at it. Acts 1 8. I mean, I kind of know it by heart at this point. We we taught it a lot uh, in youth ministry. Um, Acts 1 8 is basically God is empowering us to be witnesses. One of the things I always used to love if you study this uh, witness, the word witness there is actually where we it's actually the Greek word martus. It's where we get our word martyr. Uh, So you can kind of play with that idea as to what you think a witness is. Uh, but he says, you will be witnesses for me. And then he talks about locationally where these witnessing will take place. It takes place at your home. It takes place at your neighbors. It takes place in your city. It takes place in your country and across the world, it says, right? How am I going to do all these things? Through the Holy Spirit. That's impossible for you to witness home, neighbor, city, nation, world. Not uh, without the Holy Spirit, right? That's what's going to enable you to do multiple things at once, a supernatural empowerment, right? This is its purpose, to proclaim the glory of Jesus and the gospel everywhere. Now, Paul would later on to basically describe this, uh, uh, but the way he does it is he says, listen, this Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to create these multiple ministries that will be born out of this empowerment and this baptism Uh, Some of you know this, in Ephesians 4, he lists five things, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What's interesting to me, uh, nowhere uh, uh, does it say this is an exclusive club. It's interesting. I, I always think like, well, yeah, there's these offices and then there's everywhere else. But the Bible doesn't explain that out. The Bible never says there's everybody else. Right? This is what... Paul says these are the ministries that the Holy Spirit creates, right? And, 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 and what is the ministry? It's the work of sharing, teaching, proclaiming, and declaring the gospel. That's what all these ministries do. They bear witness of the gospel or the truth of the good news, right? Simply put, it's the bridge work that connects those who are lost children back with their father. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we become supernaturally empowered for the task in these areas, in these areas, right? Notice I didn't... Layman is not in there. Um, Pew sitter, not in that list, right? So there's no alternative here, all right? You're one of the five. You possess gifts for one of the five. Now, whether you believe in yourself enough to think you possess those gifts, that's another story. Whether you want to take on that because you already have this idea of what you think that is, that's another story. But make no mistake about it, there are only list five different ministries that are in the church, and you're a part of one of those. Now, whatever that is, that's for you to discover and you to find out. And we'll talk about that as we keep moving along. But you're one of those, right? A lot of us have a little pastor. And especially if you got kids, you already know how to just pastor, right? Carry a big rod, right? Direction, you show them where to go with the rod. Sometimes you give them some help with it, all right? Pastor, like everybody understands a little bit. There's a little bit of each ministry in you, uh, and if you go back and you look at the transition from Acts 1 to Acts, week, like, like Acts 2, like last week, and you see the disciples sitting and they're waiting in the upper room, they're still just disciples. At this point, they're not really anything. But when Acts 2 begins and the Holy Spirit pours itself out on them, there is a change that happens in them. Okay? Things 
are all of a sudden different. Peter is not the same Peter, right? The disciples are not the same, right? Peter, uh, uh, they've gone immediately from follower to leader in a blink of an eye. I mean, just, just you read it for yourself. Peter hadn't been preparing a message on weeks on end. That's not what he was doing in the upper room. He wasn't like, hey, when this thing happens, I got to be ready to go. It wasn't like that. He, he, he didn't prepare for it. He had no idea what he was going to say once this event happened or even when it was going to happen. But the Holy Spirit empowered his tongue and speech to do what? Right? What is the Holy Spirit going to do? What does it say it's going to do? That you would, Acts 1.8, what's its purpose? To bear witness. Right? So what does he do? He preaches the gospel. And then just like that, Acts 1.8 is fulfilled and becomes this staple principle. And, 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 and that is this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for empowering believers to witness the gospel to the world. It's not so you feel good. I'm sorry. It does feel good, though. That's like a byproduct. But that's not its purpose. All right? It does help you. But it helps you so that you become more like Christ so you can be a better witness. The purpose behind the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is to witness the gospel to the world. It is not given to you so that we can lay hands and make a mockery of it here at the altar. It is given to us so that we can share the gospel, so that we can reveal God to people, to the lost, so that we can bridge relationships back from the lost to the Father. It has purpose. And it doesn't function outside of that purpose. It will not bring glory to the church. It will not bring glory to you. It will only bring glory to the Father. That's his purpose. This isn't a one-time thing either. Acts 2 is just not, okay, it's over. And that was a one-time gig. It's not it. Last week we discussed Acts 2, how the Holy Spirit came. Then the gospel was preached and believed, and the people spoke in tongues or foreign languages. But there were also other instances as well. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to roll through some of these. Acts chapter 8, and we'll start around verse 14 or so. Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem, notice by chapter 1, they're disciples, by chapter 8, they're apostles. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, how important did the apostles think the baptism of the Holy Spirit was? Well, as soon as they heard that Samaria had heard and believed the gospel message, and even had been baptized in repentance, they ventured out, to pray that these people might receive the Holy Spirit. They felt it was a necessity. It was an absolute necessity, part of the ministry. It's just the next step, right? They didn't believe that what had happened in Jerusalem was a single event. No, it was the common evolution of a believer. You believe, you hear the gospel, you receive it, you believe it, you're baptized in water to repentance, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. Normal stuff, according to what they believe, right? There was a physical difference in someone who received the Holy Spirit. Others could see it. For instance, in this passage here in Acts 8, if you actually wanted to read the whole thing through, there's a man named Simon. We called him Simon the Magician or whatever. And he looked at this, and when he saw them lay hands, the countenance of those who had received the Holy Spirit had changed. Physically changed. 
Whether he heard something that doesn't allude to it, they spoke in tongues, but something in him saw it and goes, I want that. Can I pay for that? Right? And we know that that's a whole other story, but listen, there was a physical change that happened upon somebody when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice how Simon didn't, wasn't so eager to become so Christian until he saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which tells me a lot of things, guys. People might, I mean, you know that basically what it says, I mean, it, it implies this. That we can have the, we can believe the gospel, receive the gospel, and be baptized underwater, and nobody still sees Jesus in us. But all of a sudden, when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, everybody wants a part of that. You know the fastest growing religion, or not fast growing, you know the fastest growing movement across the world right now is Pentecost? Still. The Pentecostal missionary is still like in revival across the globe. It's, it's, the, it's the Pentecostals that are the spirit-filled individuals that are making headway across the world. And even if you know anything, if you've talked to any missionaries, even Baptist missionaries, they'll tell you, they tend to hang with the Pentecostal missionaries because the Pentecostal missionaries get doors open to them. Welcome to the supernatural. Welcome to the supernatural. Signs and wonders follow those who believe. How do you think that stuff happened? It bears witness to the truth of the good news of who Jesus is, right? Again, it's not an, an, an exclusive thing either. It's not just for the few. Oh, well, it's just if you're Pentecostal, that's the, if you're Pentecostal, well, listen, nobody's, nobody's born Pentecostal. Pentecostal happens because you get welcome to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and Pentecost has become the surname to those who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some call them charismatics. There's a lot of different names that are given to us. Why? Because we've had an experience with God that somehow seems unexplainable and makes no sense. It makes us look like a fool, right? But this is who we are. What do we do about it now? I'm physically and evidently changed, and people see it. They call you radical. That's okay, too. That's a good one. Acts 10. Go on another couple chapters. Acts 10. It wasn't an exclusive thing. Just for, just, it wasn't just for some, it, it, it was, and, and not for all, as the, as the Apostle Peter would soon find out that God sent him, the first Gentile believer here in Acts 10, verse 35. I'm, I'm going to skip a lot of the story and get down to the point here. In Acts 10, verse 35, he says, In every nation he who accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Day. Then God allowed them to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And even, listen, it says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on the Gentiles too. How, how did they know? It says, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. I love how there's no order to things. There's no order. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out first. 
and then the gospel is preached and believed. In Acts 8, they had already heard the gospel and even baptized in water before they had received the Holy Spirit baptism. And here in Acts 10, while Peter is yet still talking, he witnesses the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No altar call, Peter? While he was preaching the gospel, I think the altar call was already happening in the heart. Also, scripturally, it cannot be denied that every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, there's some sort of physical alteration that makes it noticeable. Just, just showing you the scriptures. No theology. We're not looking at anybody else's thoughts and heads into these things. Just showing you what Acts says. However, let's look at Paul's experience. Let's just don't stop here. It's, right now, it's Peter. It's everybody that's been affected that's walked with Jesus for three years, right? So let's just look at Paul's experience in Acts 19. We're just, we're just throwing you the evidence down now. We're just throwing the scriptures, trying to get a look at this, trying to get a handle on this, trying to bring some understanding in this to us. If you say you believe the Bible, then let's talk the Bible. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. It reads, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. <clears throat> now listen, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Love it. <laughs> then, then, man, there's some churches I think we could just say that, right? Like, Have you received the Holy Spirit? I hadn't even heard of it. Not even, uh-uh. Um, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, well, the baptism of John, Paul said. John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus, listen, it says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So Paul hears that they were saved, even baptized in water, but professes through scripture how Jesus said there would be another baptism that would mark a believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them. And they're filled. Again, here's the physical evidence of the baptism. In the four examples we've seen in the past two weeks, three out of four. In, the, in all the examples we've seen, three out of four. Basically 75%. I don't know. That seems like a lot to me. How many of you would gamble on 75%? If I told you, hey, I need you to make an investment with a, with the op, with, listen, it would be a 75% success rate on getting your money back and then some, right? You would think, hey, that's pretty good odds, right? Why? Because that's three out of four. That's pretty much every time it's going to be this way, right? So three out of four times on the instances of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's followed by the speaking in tongues or it, the only fourth one or the one we don't know about, there was something noticeable about it. I, I don't know what it was. I don't want to pretense and put it in there, but if... I think, it, I mean, three out of four, I could say, hey, probably most likely that they heard tongues. Probably most likely. Now, let me say this again. This isn't uh, the gift in and of itself. But we can't deny that it, it's the signpost of a person marked by the Holy Spirit. I, I think that's too hard to deny. Scripturally, you're going to struggle with that. If you struggle with, like, does it have to be this way every time? No, because I don't think you can put God in a box. What I'm saying is, scripturally, through our history, tongues has followed those who've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And I don't think there's a way to dispute that biblically, biblically. There's also, to me, no way to dispute um, the idea that this is a lost ministry or not existing in our day. What God did here, he's not doing today. This, what we call in theology, dispensationalism. The idea that God does something different with every generation. So he's gone away from using the Holy Spirit like this now. He doesn't work like this anymore. That'd be hard because there is a lot of Pentecostal people who've had this experience with, with God at this point. And we could rack it up as emotionalism or a lot of other things, but that would be just, it just works against Scripture to me. So this wasn't something just for the spiritually elite. I mean, the spiritually elite would have been the apostles, right? I mean, they, these are the guys who were with Jesus. Paul was like out there killing Christians, and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Paul would later go on, I speak in tongues more than you all, right? I mean, he would go on to say that, right? So we know that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He definitely knew what it was about. He, he remembered the words of John as John came out. So this, it wasn't like he wasn't educated in this. And he said, hey, he went to everybody that ever believed. Well, have you, I've heard you've got all this, but have you, heard, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's kind of a big deal. Notice how they go to him. That's like the first thing they ask. Yeah, you've heard the message. Yeah, you've heard of the water baptism. Those are things that, are, that, are, that men can do. But have you experienced the thing that only God can do? Have you had that experience yet? This, this, this baptism is meant for everyone who surrenders themselves to the gospel of Jesus. The apostles obviously didn't believe this was something that was only given to them. They understood that this was the plan that Jesus enacted in Acts 1.8. That would take normal individuals... And make these individuals into apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And can I tell you this morning, to such are you called. Because I've read all of Ephesians and there isn't a position in the ministry called pew sitter or layman. I've looked. There's not one that says idle by person. You don't get to sit back and like, I would question if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Honestly. Just because there's no way, like, the Holy Spirit is sent to you, compels you, gives you passion, purpose to witness. By the way, if that is true, that they, it's not, if that, if the Greek word is martus. And if what he's trying to convey to us is that witnessing is going to cost us something, then the Holy Spirit must be the thing that's preparing us for what it's going to cost us to witness. This is where we are. You are called by God. To be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. Jesus gets it. Let me just tell you that if you don't, if you don't know this. Your skills are lacking. Yeah, God knows. That's why he sent the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? He didn't send his disciples. Hey, as soon as I ascend, take off. Go. That no. <laughs> like, no way. These guys ain't going to make it. I have to send them the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait to be prepared. Wait to be given passion. Wait to be given purpose. Wait to be given the fire that you need to do what you were called to do. God sent His Spirit, right? Your skills, yeah, I get it, man. They're struggling, right? This is why He sent the Holy Spirit to you. You don't have a message? Like Peter, if you're praying and you're obedient, you won't have to worry about it. On the day that you're needed... You will have all of a sudden the supernatural ability that will come directly from God. He'll give you the words. Don't believe me? 
Luke 12, listen to Jesus say at the end. Jesus says, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. Well, man, I don't, man, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, don't call on me. I don't, I don't know what I might say in front of anybody. Good, good. Because in absolute surrender is when God can actually work through you. Sometimes the best thing that needs to happen to a lot of us is be put on the spot. And the irony, the irony about all of that is when we think we're sounding the dumbest is usually when God is doing the greatest work. You know, uh, as a musician, I'll testify this. If you played music, you already know. There are some times when we get up and play and it is the worst morning ever. <laughs> and we're, up, we're in the back going, please, Jesus, let me sing these songs twice as fast today without them noticing so we can be done. Because it sounds awful. We are making so many mistakes. And then that'll be the times, never fails, where all of you will come up and go, oh my gosh, worship was so good. We're like, are you, it was the horrible. It was horrible. Like some of the times, same way with preaching, when you think, oh man, I have come to bring a message. This is the best. I mean, I feel so good about this message, right? And a couple things either happen. Either nobody shows up, right? Which God, I think, is laughing at you like, ha ha ha. That's what you get for depending on you. Right, and then the other side of it shows up. Nobody really cares. Like non-effective, maybe like that was for me, I guess. Like my ego, I guess. Right, and then the worst message you preach is the one where everybody comes up. Like I really got a lot of that today. Like really? It's like I, I was up for like four. I mean, like four days trying to figure out. What, I don't even know what I was going to write. Like half of that I just made up on the fly. And, and that's the time when God works. Right, when you're small, He can become big. When your ego is deflated. God becomes inflated. God takes over. In your weakness is when he shows up the best. He, God, God humbles us is what he does. He humbles us in those moments. He reminds us that it's, it's not our gifting that makes people respond to the good news. It's the good news. It's the good news, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is life-changing because it taps you into a supernatural transforming power. And this wasn't a power only meant for the first generation. It still exists today. It is given with a singular purpose to empower you to be a witness of the good news. That means if you're not going to evangelize and you're not going to tell people about the Lord and you're not going to tell your neighbors, why do you need it? You wonder why you don't live in the abundant life. You wonder why your life is stale. You wonder why you don't have adventure in your life. By the way, man, Americans, we don't have very much adventure. I always talk about this all the time. Do you know how much money comes into our off-road park? It's crazy. I mean, we had a Saturday alone one time where we made almost 30 grand on a Saturday. And people have hundreds of thousands of dollars in off-road machines. Now, listen, that's awesome. We are bored. We are bored. We spend thousands of dollars for entertainment because of how bored we are. There is an adventure out there waiting to happen. You want to find it? Go witness the gospel. You will find ups and downs all kind of in your life. <laughs> and you, you want to stay unbored? Go witness the gospel. Open your house up to, to, to your neighbors. Start having a weekly thing over at your house with all your neighbors and just bringing them in and just loving on them and having a meal and sharing a meal and becoming community. And then over time, watch the man, the Bible will work its way into it. Why? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. It will work its way in. I truly believe it. You don't believe me? Listen, God is very big about this. 
Uh, and, and make no mistake, listen, before you feel like a failure, like, well, I never hardly witnessed God. I never get a chance to do that. Listen, I'm going to tell you this in your life right now. If you hunger for the Holy Spirit and you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, then one thing I can tell you is get ready. Because even if your flesh goes, uh, I'm not going to go up there and say anything. Uh, I'm not going to go out there and, and do that. Uh, I'm not going to think. Just remember, the first church said that too. Right? They stayed in Jerusalem. Acts 2 happens, right? I moved us right along into Acts 8 and Acts 19 and all that stuff. And all that stuff is nice. And we see how the gospel goes out. Oh, it was just so perfect. No, it wasn't. God allowed persecution to come on the church because they said, uh, I don't want to go to my neighbors. I don't even like Samaria. I don't like the Gentiles. I didn't read you that part right. Where, where, where Peter has to be given a dream and give a supernatural thing because he doesn't like Gentiles. Later on, he doesn't even want to eat with them, and Paul has to like give him a hard time. Like, bro, quit being racist. Like, if you think you have problems, don't listen. The first church had problems. They didn't want to evangelize either, so God said, don't want to go? Well, I will boot you right out of the house. I will make it so difficult to preach the gospel in Jerusalem that you'll have to leave it, and when you leave it, those who stay will become the underground church, Right? They're having to pray while Peter's locked up in jail, right? While Paul is on the missionary trip going and getting stoned in Iconium and Lystra and getting shipwrecked and snake bitten and everything. Welcome to that adventurous life. By the way, everybody wants Paul's ministry. Nobody wants his life, right? Like, I want to go. I want to be like a traveler like Paul was. Yeah, but get ready for pain. Paul is the minister of pain is what he is, man. Uh, and it was self-inflicted, not, not like, like he didn't inflict it. He wasn't like the, you know, like the, the warrior who inflicts pain. It was all coming back at him. Uh, it was more like, see how much you can take. And, and, but this is their life. This is the, God allowed these things to happen. And I, can I tell you something? One of the things as I read this, I'm going to tell you right now, if we're not careful in our nation and we're already, I think, on that slope, God will allow persecution here again. Man, it's already getting there. Just from the time 10 years ago when I first got here, how easy it was to get into the schools and do ministry in the schools to now is even hard. And we have Christian guys running the school more so than we did back then. I mean, these guys, at least that are running the school board and running the school, uh, the administrators, things like that, they're active churchgoers. We didn't have these guys that were really all that active churchgoers, but that were in these positions that were way more easier to get into the school than the active churchgoers. What does that tell you? And I, I mean, the question comes down to this. I mean, when we get down to this, make it personal. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I mean, if so, that's awesome. How is it helping you uh, witness the good news? That's something to be thinking about. I'm not asking how many people are you bringing to church now. I'm just asking how many are you helping others learn about Jesus? Because that's the whole point of it. Because that's the whole point of it. Are you sharing with your friends and coworkers? Are you educating your kids? You know, one of the things that I remember, and I believe this is the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to sharing the gospel, is this, is there was a scene, how many of you have seen the movie Nativity? Really good movie about birth of Christ. And there's a scene there where Zechariah now is talking again. He's had baby John the Baptist, you know. And they're laying there in the bed, him, Elizabeth. And him and Elizabeth are laying there, and then the baby's right there. And uh, as Elizabeth is just kind of holding the child, and he's holding Elizabeth, He's telling the story of Elijah, and the and the fire or and the uh, and the the God was not in the wind, and God was not you know, and he's just telling this story, and he's speaking life and telling the Christ, telling the 
stories of God. He's from, from birth. He's raising his child and witnessing to the Lord about, about you, you know, what I thought was neat. Obviously, what I thought was neat off that, and they were obviously playing on the scripture where he becomes the, he is the Elijah that's come to herald in, you know, Christ. And we know that through prophecy and stuff. But to hear, to see, to visibly see how parenting is and how witnessing and how the Holy Spirit helps us even in parenting witness to our kids and start our kids off from the time that they can absolutely hear that they are hearing godly things in the house. I mean, from the time they're born, I mean, he's pouring into it. If you don't think the Holy Spirit, that's what it does. It witnesses the God, the good news. It gives you the power and passion to witness that, to do that. It's God's desire that all would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I mean, when he said it, it wasn't an exclusive thing. Hey, this is about to happen. And when it does, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. When Paul was writing the foundational principles of the church, he was thinking that the church would be operating in this manner because it was all he knew and witnessed. So when we look and we read the epistles, one of the things that I've had a hard time with my, I call them my brothers because they are my brothers and sisters, my Baptist brothers and sisters, my Methodist brothers and sisters that believe in that dispensationalism. I'm saying, man, how do you get around all the epistles? that are all built around how the Holy Spirit functions and acts and how it works within the ministry and stuff. How do you get around all that stuff? And, and, and do you just like disregard it as like, hey, that was for a first-generation church, and so you just kind of made your own rules up? And I mean, like, how, how does that work for you? Because, I mean, it, just wanting to be somebody who's like a Puritan with the, with the Bible, just wanna, I just want to believe what it says, you know? And not, not listen, I don't want to overthink it. There's sometimes you can overthink something that's really simple, right? My dad has taught me that a lot with tools and things like that, right? I'm like, I, I'll beat it with a hammer. Listen, if you have the right tool, it comes right off. So now you don't have to like be like a monkey on that thing. Just, you, there's a right way to do things, right? So how, how does this work, right? Paul was thinking this is the way it is, right? Can you imagine what he would think today that, that some have used their intellect to try and diffuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? To impose something different upon the church. Over and over in our church history are revivals that the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, that proves that the Holy Spirit is just lying there waiting for somebody just to grab a hold of it and go. Right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if you, ever, if you hadn't read about revivals, and, and let me tell you something, revivals is not what we declare on a Sunday night. Hey, we're going to have Sunday night revival. That's not revival. You can call it that, and maybe you want to call those things that be not as though they are, and that's okay too. I understand that. I don't want to put that down necessarily. But revivals never start out the way we want them to. If we could just start revival when we say it, oh, man. You know how many churches would be in revival? Every church would. Every church wants to be full to capacity and ever the praise and the glory of God be going. Every pastor wants that. But we don't get to choose that. It happens when we pursue the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants that. But like I said last week, one thing that Tozer does get right, God is waiting to be wanted. God is a gentleman. He will not impose himself upon you. If you are not going to function within the, the purpose or the realm of the Holy Spirit, then why do you need it? Why do you need it? You know why churches are dry today? Because they don't witness the gospel. You know the proof it is? You can have people who believe and are baptized in water and not filled with the Holy Spirit. But who are the people growing the church in the Bible? Not the people who are just... Obviously, people heard of it, were baptized and heard it, and they could, that could produce itself. But the people who would really go on to radically create the church are baptized by the Holy Spirit believers. They're the ones who wrote all the doctrine, guys. There's nobody that's not baptized in the Holy Spirit that didn't write doctrine that you're believing today. Period. Every, every apostle is baptized 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every one of them. And what's that say about our ministries today? If that ain't a requirement, I don't know what else would be. How are you going to teach without the power of the Holy Spirit? Through your own intellect? I'm going to tell you it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You want to, if you want to do something more for the Lord, this has to happen. It has to happen. Um, you know, I've, uh, I, I've, it, I, it's a hard thing. It's a, it's a hard thing um, to, to like convince somebody about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every year at camp when we used to do youth ministry, it was one of those things that we would go through in youth ministry. By Wednesday or Thursday, we're going to confront kids with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen. We are going to confront them. Is this, this is the truth of the gospel. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then we are going to pray in the altars for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. This is what's going to happen. And it would be the hardest thing to try to, for a, I think it's easier for a teenager because they're more apt to let go. And kids and teenagers are more apt at this point in life. They haven't been so hardened by life yet that they're not as cynical about humanity and reality yet. And so they're more apt and open for this. But it is very hard. I mean, one of the first things for me, remember the stories that I've told? Like, I ain't going down for nothing. I don't care who lays hands on me. I, I mean, like, you better bring that junk. I'm not going down. I'm not, I'm not just going to fall down and just, like, courtesy fall for you so you feel good about yourself, Pastor. I'm going to, listen, either God shows up and does a crazy thing, or there ain't, or I'm, I'm not going to believe it. That's just how it is. But I'm not going to believe anything flighty. I'm not going to believe anything that doesn't seem right. But I can tell you, you know, um, as someone who wasn't born in the church, it seems so foreign to me. And honestly, this whole thing seemed really made up to me, like seemed like in a big emotional work. But all of a sudden, when I fully surrendered to God and I gave into it, I can tell you when I begin to feel that thing in my stomach that I didn't know what was, and all of a sudden my lips and mouth are saying things that I don't even get. Like I know, they, oh, it's a prayer language. Listen, I don't even understand it. I just know that I can't stop it when it happens. I can't stop it happens. Now, I can't tell you this. Like Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. I do speak in tongues when I pray. And not all the time when I pray. Sometimes I'm in and out, right? Sometimes it's happening so quick, and I'm there for a few seconds. I know, like, I'm speaking in tongues, and I don't know what I'm saying. And, but God knows my heart. God knows what I'm saying. I'm speaking into the Spirit on things. And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. But I, it wasn't always that way. It was, it was something that, that uh, there for a while I thought, man, I don't know what God's doing to me. Like, something is seriously wrong with me. <laughs> Meanwhile, the church is going, hey, this is normal. This is normal stuff, right? Uh, it took me letting go of my flesh. It took me uh, um, allowing God, if need be, to humiliate me. Let's be honest there. And because of that, I've been forever changed. And I know I use the word humiliate, but it, it's what it seemed like at the time. Now I wear it like a badge, Right? I wear it like a badge because I remember what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who thinks they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast about the presence of God. Just try to make sense of tongues. Good luck. To me, it's the foolish things of the world. God chose these things because that's what holds you back. Because you think it's foolish to talk like that. It's gibberish. It's foolish. It doesn't, they're just saying something. They're just so excited they can't speak. You, know, you can explain it away however you want to explain it. You can say whatever you want to say. It can seem like nonsense or you can be called a radical or, or whatever that is. I, I will tell you this. Over time, it just has become my identity. 
I'm a born-again, baptized in the Holy Spirit believer. That's who I am. I believe, and I received the gospel. I was baptized in water, and then I was baptized in fire. Do I speak in tongues? Absolutely. Like Paul said, I probably speak in tongues more than you all. Whatever. What I want to do or what it makes me do is not just speak in tongues. That's not the gift. The gift is that it has empowered me to witness the gospel to everyone. Amen? Let's bring the worship team back in.